You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to church. Um, we had uh, actually just one more announcement. We forgot to mention this. Um, some of you are asking, but um, here's, here's the results. It's a, a slice of apple pie is $2.50 in Jamaica and $3 in the Bahamas. So, so some of you were asking about the pirates of the Caribbean, so I just thought I'd <laughs> tell you what those were. That's, that's your dad joke for the day. And the funny part is, is all the guys from the men's breakfast like, you used this one before, but that's also what dads do, right? We, use, we recycle jokes, so. There you go. There's your... <laughs> so bad. It's a good one, though, right? <laughs> All right, well, we have been making our way through the Ten Commandments. And you know what? We're almost there. We are on the Eighth Commandment. And uh, the Eighth Commandment is do not steal. Now, a reminder, the Ten Commandments... Um, are given to us as a gift of what? Grace. It's a gift of grace. They are a gift of grace from God, and they are designed to protect and enhance a life of freedom. And so we can't forget this. They're premised in grace, in God's saving act of the Exodus, where he delivers his people out of slavery, and he sets the captives free. And so it is God's desire to set us free. To set us free from all the things that entangle us and enslave us. God's desire is to set us free. And so that's what the Ten Commandments are all about. They're about freedom. And so we're going to recite the Ten Commandments again. And we're going to do it in a fun way, as we always do. What we often do is I'm going to have one half of you read the First part, and then you guys are going to actually read the commandments. So let's stand together, and we'll do this together. <laughs> this is fun, okay? <laughs> I can see something. Fine, I'll get up. Come on. Humor me. Okay, here we go. So you guys, you're, this is about grace, right? right? So we're, you're going to say, you know, about what God has done. He's delivered us out of slavery. And it's within that context we get the Ten Commandments, all right? So here we go, together, on this side. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not make idols. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not take the Lord of oh, the Lord your God in vain. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Honor your father and your mother. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not murder. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not commit adultery. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not steal. And I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not covet. Lord, we pray that you would speak into our hearts and guide us in what this means and help us to respond to what you say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So there's um, a fella in the 16th century, a Martin Luther, um, who actually wrote quite a bit on the Ten Commandments, and he makes the interesting point that all the Ten Commandments are connected. And the more you study the Ten Commandments, you're going to find that, that they are connected. Uh, and, and certainly with, when, when it comes to the, com- to the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal, you can see how it is connected to the other commandments on the tablets. How? Well, think about it. By not stealing, we safeguard what we own, right? Uh, in particular, shelter and resources that we need in order to survive, and you think about it, if, if, you, if you have the safety to have resources and shelter in which you can survive, well, that's going to be helpful for a marriage. It's going to build up your marriage. It's also going to give you a context in which you can safely raise your children because you, have give, you can offer them shelter, you can offer the resources that they need. It's also the context to work and to rest well. But if things are being stolen, if things are under threat of being stolen, how do you feel? Well, you feel anxious. You feel worried. Um, and, and if stuff is being stolen from you, you may turn around and say, well, look, I'm going to steal back from you. Or if stuff is being stolen and you don't have enough and you look at your neighbor and you're like, man, look what they have. I sure could use some of this stuff. What are you doing? You're coveting. Or you could actually make an effort not only to steal, but if somebody said, did you steal my stuff? You can say, no, no, I didn't steal your stuff. You're lying now. Or worst case scenario, if you get caught and you want to make sure that it doesn't get out, you can kill. And so all these commandments, all these commandments are interwoven and they're interconnected. And, and the more you study them, the more you realize just how intimately connected they are. So what I want to do is I want to look at this commandment, you shall not steal. I want to look at it first off within the context of the Old Testament, then we'll look at the New Testament briefly. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, what does it mean to steal? Well, the Hebrew word means to, to, to steal by stealth. So it, it involves the idea of being sneaky, uh, not just taking something that is yours, but it's a secret, sneaky taking of something that is not yours. And in the Old Testament, stealing was a big deal. If you stole something, even if you were desperate, um, the consequences would be that you would have to repay what you stole, and not just repay, but maybe repay two, three, four times what you had stolen. Um, and if you couldn't pay back what you, had, what you had stolen, then your life could be forfeit, and your life could be sold into slavery. And here's the other thing. It's not just you stealing. It's if you see someone stealing, and you don't say anything. Or if they have property and the property kind of wanders off, as they have cattle or whatever, and it wanders off, and you don't do anything to help your neighbor, 
that is a problem. And so right from, right from the beginning, we realize this commandment, thou shall not steal, it's never about me and my stuff. This commandment, thou shall not steal, is not about, hey, hands off my stuff. It's not about that. It's, in fact, about your neighbor. And it's protecting your neighbor. It doesn't promote selfishness. It is to be other-focused, to love your neighbor by caring about their well-being and protecting one another. It's interesting because when we hear this commandment, thou shalt not steal, often our mind goes to what? We go, our mind goes to like robbers, right? Or bandits or, or, or thieves who, who might break into our house and take our stuff. But within the context of, of the Old Testament, thou shalt not steal was always directed primarily against the rich. And it was a pushback against them being tempted to steal from the poor. And so this, this commandment was directed against the practice of economic oppression. It was directed uh, particularly towards those who would steal from the poor through greed, through bad business practices, through oppression, and by caring more about wealth than loving God and, and your neighbor. And if, if you want to get a feel for this, a flavor for this, read some of the prophets. Read the book of Amos, and you'll get this, this theme loud and clear. And so this commandment, we can never use this commandment to justify selfishness. This is my stuff. Hands off my stuff. It is designed to prevent economic oppression. It is also designed to prevent the practice of usury, um, which is a charging of interest on loans. And so this practice, when carried out among Israelites, if you charged interest, that was seen as thievery, as theft, and it was therefore for forbidden. It was also speaking against the practice of over-harvesting. Israel was su supposed to leave the edges of its fields unharvested in order to allow the poor to glean, to get what they needed. And where do we see this story, this practice of gleaning take place? Do you know which book in the Old Testament? Yeah, the book of Ruth. Yeah, it comes up in the book of Ruth. Um, and so as a farmer, if you pick your whole field clean and you take everything and leave nothing for the poor, that was seen as a form of stealing. I remember um, years ago when I was uh, working at Regent College in Vancouver, um, every week there would be a fellow who would come in and he would just came in off the street and he would just collect all the cans and pop bottles that we'd leave in the, in the recycling bins. And he would just, you know, usually take it every week. And it was no big deal. Um, but one day, I remember, I forget who it was, but there's somebody in the college told the guy to leave. He says, no, you can't do this. You can't take the pop bottles. You can't take the cans. Get out. And I remember I was standing next to one of the professors, Don Lewis. And Don goes, I don't know if we should tell him to leave. He goes, I, I, I see this as a, as a form of gleaning in, in, in many ways. It's just you leave this to help people who, who are in need. It's also the practice of um, refusing to pay your workers on time. In Israel, you're to, to pay your workers, your day laborers, by the end of the day. And if you didn't pay them by the end of the day, you're is considered stealing from them. Or ignoring the Sabbath year. Every seventh year, all debts were to be canceled. One's credit history was to be wiped clean. 
And there's a lot of stories in the, in the Bible that describe stealing, right? There's lots of, uh, especially oppressive stealing. In our First and Second Kings class, we've been, we looked at uh, the story of Naboth, uh, who owned a vineyard. And you had a guy who was quite powerful, Ahab, who was a king, and his wife Jezebel, who basically schemed to steal his land. And not just steal his land, but they also frame him. And so he's killed. Like, it's a, it's a horrible picture. But this is where, in the Old Testament, stealing is a real problem. Same in the New Testament. Stealing. And I love the, the Greek word for, for uh, stealing. Do you know what it is? It's the word klepto, right? That's where you get the word kleptomaniac, right? And to steal means to steal secretly again. It's this idea of, of deceiving to cheating to conceal. It's a sneaky side of stealing. It's a shifty kind of stealing. And, and Jesus reinforces this commandment because when somebody asks him, what is the way to life? He says, well, you know the commandments. And he repeats this commandment in Matthew 19. Jesus also lives out this commandment when we see him overturning money uh, changing tables in the temple um, because he, his complaint was, you guys, you have made my father's house into a what? A, a house of thieves, a den of thieves, yes. And, and he actually... <laughs> He gets angry, and he's angry because these guys are making money at the expense of people having freedom to come and worship. They're occupying all the space that was supposed to be set aside for people to worship, and they're just selling their goods. And so Jesus overturns the tables, and he says, you've taken my father's house, you've made it into a den of thieves. And you see Jesus radically deepening this commandment when you see the story of Zacchaeus or his parables of um, the lost son or the good Samaritan. And Paul, in the New Testament, keeps this theme going. What does he say? In, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, he says, Thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so that they'll have something to share with the needy. So he says, stop stealing, start working, so you have money to give away. That's Paul's point. And later on, he, he says in, in 1 Timothy, he says, you know, be very careful, be very careful, because... He says, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Yeah. So he says this long before Pink Floyd ever wrote about it. So, so. so why is stealing wrong? Well, it's pretty obvious, but there's a couple things. One is it, it harms our life with God. When we steal, we're saying, God, we're not going to trust in you to be our provider. We reject God as provider. We also make the critical mistake thinking that our value is found in the things that we can get hold of. In many ways, stealing, the reason why many of us would steal, is a violation of the first commandment. Because we think if we have enough stuff, then we're going to be okay. Which is actually to put other gods before God. Right? So it's a violation of the first commandment. Stealing is ultimately rooted in finding our satisfaction in anything other than God. And I love what Klaus Bachmuehl in his book on Ten Commandments says. He says, the cure lies in being satisfied with sufficiency. We need to suppress the passion for more, to be glad with what is adequate for our needs. The desire for more is like the crack jug, always needing filling and never full. And so it harms our life with God, but it also, stealing, harms our life with our neighbor. Now, in an obvious way, if you're stealing from your neighbor, that's harming your neighbor. But there's also indirect harm. 
Because if you're stealing from a store or whatever, what's going to happen? Prices are going to go up, right? You're going to have to raise prices in order to install security cameras or security workers or whatever it happens to be. I once worked in a, in a bookstore in, uh, in Vancouver, and over a two-year period, over $50,000 worth of books was stolen. And it affected everyone. It affected, it affected our livelihood. Uh, our taxes will go up. Our taxes go up where, when stealing is rampant um, because you have to pay for police protection as a result of higher crimes. And so the entire community can be affected through stealing. It's not just the person who's being stolen from. And thirdly, it, it harms freedom. When you're living in a context where everyone is stealing, um, it's going to affect you. How, you know, how do you live your life? If, if, if you're always worried that something's going to be stolen, how does that affect how you live your day-to-day life? You're always going to be looking over your shoulder, right? You're always going to be worried. Now, I worked and, and I lived in a, in a city in China, um, and, I, I, and I love the city and I had many friends, but it was known in China to be the thief capital of China. And man, everything... Everything was stolen. Like, everywhere you look, things were, were, were being ripped off. Uh, and, and to this day, I still bear the effects of living in this city because wherever I go, whenever I go out, I'm always like, wallet, keys, nah, right, right? If ever I'm in a lineup, I take my backpack and I put it in front of me because it was a very common practice for people to line up behind you to, in a bank or whatever you happen to be and then just with a knife, my backpack's feeling lighter, right? Um, and stuff would be stolen all the time. And so I just got into this mode. And to this day, I still am in this mode. I'm not going to tell you all my secrets, how to protect myself. But uh, it's just, I'm always, you're always looking over your shoulder. You're living a life of anxiety and fear because you're worried that something's going to be stolen. And when you live in a context where there's a lot of stealing, we live anxious lives, always worried that something necessary will be taken away from you. But here's the other thing. It also affects the freedom of the one stealing. Stealing degrades a person into someone who no longer builds, no longer contributes, no longer gives, but instead tears down and takes all the time. Now, I worked for a company back in the day. I wasn't a Christian at the time, and it was a very corrupt company, and honestly, every one of us was on the take. Every one of us stole as much as we could from this company. Here's a shock. The company went bankrupt. Um, it, it, it was just it was a mess, but everybody. But the thing is, if you're, in, if you're a person who is constantly looking for ways to steal, to take, to grab, well, it's going to affect a lot of things. And one of the things that is affected is, is, is friendship. How are you going to be friends with someone who's never willing to give but is always looking to take? And so it actually does a number on you, the stealer. Um, it, it, uh, it undermines the potential for friendship. Now, I want to take a moment to look at the ways that we steal. Now, this could be very awkward. It could be very stingy. <laughs> it, may, uh, it, may, it may cut to the heart. Or it may not. We'll see. Um, so let's talk about the ways we steal. 
in our world today. I will divide them into three categories. Stealing from the world, or stealing in the world, stealing life, and stealing time. Okay? So what are the ways that we steal in the world? Well, here's one way. We take stuff from work. That's a common one, right? Just take something home from work and it becomes yours. Could be little things, could be big things. Taking stuff from school, right? How about uh, stealing music? Or stealing a channel subscription by using your friend's password. How about stealing ideas through plagiarism? You're writing a paper and you, you don't footnote and you take somebody's ideas. What about stealing ideas by taking credit for these ideas when it actually wasn't all your idea? What about stealing benefits? Like benefits of, I don't know, like a, like a safe road, roads with the potholes filled in and police service, but you're stealing it because you're not paying taxes. Or you're taking government assistance that you no longer need or you're no longer entitled to. How about stealing by overhaggling? I, you know, I used to work in a context where, where, um, where I lived in a place where <laughs> haggling was kind of a given. Like everybody was supposed to haggle. But um, sometimes you'd overhaggle. And I would, I'd be haggling with somebody, trying to get a really good price. And it'd come down to, you know, at the end of the day, it was like a dollar. Which meant nothing to me. But it meant a lot to that person. And I see this sometimes. It's like, you know what? I knew that they were desperate to sell because they're in financial straits. So I can, and what a deal I got on their whatever it happens to be. And I took advantage of the fact that I knew they needed to sell it, and I just, oh, what a deal. You've actually stolen from them. A friend of mine pointed this out. And it's, it's in Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 14. It says, bad, bad, says the buyer. But when he goes away, he boasts. He says, ah, oh, this is terrible. This is junk. This is junk. Oh, I'll just pay you this amount. And he goes away. He goes, look at the deal I got. What about um, stealing by overcharging customers or providing them with poor service? Stealing by underpaying your employees. Now this next one is, I don't know how to put it in a, in a kind way. What about stealing from the incompetent, the mathematically challenged? <laughs> you know, when you buy something and you realize that they didn't charge you for everything? Or they gave you too much change? You know, like, score. I got this for free. Did you or did you just steal it? Simply because they're incompetent doesn't mean you take it. 
How do we steal life? Well, we can steal a person's humanity by watching pornography. We can steal a person's reputation and privacy through slander and gossip. How do we steal time? Well, we can steal time from our workplace by coming in late, leaving early, using up all your sick days even when you're not sick. I used to, uh, I used to smoke quite a bit, and uh, it was always the unwritten rule that you had your official breaks, but then you had smoke breaks, and so we'd always take extra breaks along the way. Stealing. How about stealing time from your family by hiding in the workplace, hiding in the office, hiding at work? Because really, at the wor- at work, people treat you importantly. Where at home, you know, things are really stressful with the kids and everything. So you steal time from your family by hiding at work. How about stealing from yourself? How do you steal time from yourself? Well, by binging for hours and hours on stupid shows. By refusing to make the best use of the time that we have been given by God. Now, I did say it would be a little bit awkward, right? It's tough. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this commandment to our lives? Well, there's many ways. Let's just look at three. One is we need to practice stewardship. We need to remember the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so the question is, how do you see your stuff? Do you see your stuff as your stuff? Or do you see yourself as stewards over what you have been given? Again, this commandment is not meant to guard selfishness. It is designed to protect and enhance a life of freedom. And the problem with caring too much about your stuff is that your stuff begins to own you. Sometimes God may be very clearly calling you to a new place, a new, a new calling. And you're like, I can't go. Why? I got too much stuff. It would be too much of a hassle to move. The reality is, is that the Christian life, we're called to be stewards over all that we have. We need to see our stuff differently. Why? For three reasons. One, everything we have is a gift from God. Two, as a Christian, we're called to live in such a way that our neighbors will be loved and blessed. And thirdly, we need to be accountable. We are accountable to God for how we live. That's Jesus' parable of the talents. So I need to ask the question, what can I do with what God has given me to serve God and to love my neighbor? And so every, every week we always talk about giving, right? Giving away. Now part of the discipline of giving is Christians need to be those who give away money. Not we give away time, give away money. We need to constantly be giving away. Why? Because that reflects the way of God. And when you give away money, you're basically saying to your wallet, you are not the boss of me. You do not come between me and God. That's why we give away money. We also need to practice generosity. 
So the positive expression of do not steal is be generous. And as followers of Yahweh, we're called not to steal, but to live generous lives because that's who God is. Remember when I said um, way back at the beginning of this whole series, I said if you want to understand what God is like, his character, read and study the Ten Commandments. Because as you study the Ten Commandments, you'll get a feel for who God is, what his character is like. And so one of the characteristics of God, who he is, is the fact that God is a giving God. God is generous. God so loved the world that he what? He gave, he gave, right? Because God in his very nature is giving, so shall we be. So let me ask you this question. When you go through life, do you go through life like this? Or do you go through life like this? Big difference. Too many of us go through life like this. Trying to control everything. Do you remember Jesus' teaching on the rich fool? He talks about this guy. He says, you know what? I need more stuff. I need more stuff. And then I'll be okay. Then I, then I can retire. Then I can be happy. So he, he harvests. He builds a barn, builds a larger barn, even a larger barn. And he has enough stuff. He's like, finally, finally, I have enough stuff that I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And Jesus, what does Jesus call him? He says, you fool, you fool, you fool. You don't even know how many days you have. Your life could be gone tomorrow. You think building, you think you can, you can hold off and you can control everything by accumulation? You can't. You don't know how many days you have. Jesus teaches us that where our treasure is, it matters, it matters a lot because where your treasure is, what else? where your heart is, right? And Jesus, he lay, through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus lays down his life for us. We, we read, uh, Paul, uh, my colleague, uh, read this morning when we gathered together, he says, he, from Philippians 2, that Jesus, though in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking on the form of a man, right? We know that it is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. And so Jesus' work on the cross is a supreme picture of self-giving. And in his resurrection, you and I are invited to receive the gift of eternal life. And then the ramifications for this is you and I are called to be self-giving in the same way that God in his very nature is self-giving. And the third application to this, the last application is this, is we need to practice community. We do not live our lives as atomized individuals. We are not Marlboro men and women. Does anybody remember those commercials? Marlboro men? No. Okay. Uh, but we live in community. We live in community. We're in this life together. And so this commandment teaches us not just to consider what is mine and what is yours, but also what is ours. What do we hold in common? What are we jointly responsible for stewarding and caring? And you get a picture of this in, in, in the New Testament, in, in Acts chapter 2, where, where we read in verse 44, it says, it describes the early believers, 
All, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who ever had need. And I think this is a picture. It's not offering like an economic system or anything like that. But it's talking, it's describing a changed heart that is aligned to Jesus. When our hearts are aligned to Jesus, when our hearts are aligned to Jesus, this desire to acquire, accumulate, and hoard, our hearts are changed. And we no longer want to do this. Instead, we have open hands. Now, I, I, I've shared this before, but I remember, like for me, this, this, this had a huge impact on me becoming a Christian because I was an atheist for, for, for many, many years. And I was living, uh, I was living in, in, in China at the time, and I, the story is I, I had to leave China quickly, and I had to get down to Hong Kong, and Hong Kong was British back then, um, but I had to get out of town. <laughs> but the problem is, is I had no money. And I remember uh, a friend of mine who was a Christian. He was an American friend. He lived in the same town. He, he gave me money. He gave me $300, U.S. dollars. And I'm like, dude, you can't afford this. And he couldn't. He didn't have a lot of money. He's like, ah, it doesn't matter. He goes, take it. And it saved me. Oh, man, it saved me because I had to get out of town. And uh, it, it got me set up in Hong Kong for I found a job and things like that. And I remember thinking at the time, like, who does that? Who gives, who, who gives away money like that? He hardly knew me. Why would he do such a thing? Now he knew he's a Christian. I'm like, huh. Didn't think about it. But four years later, uh, I reconnected with him, and he actually led me to Christ. I became a Christian while I was working for this company where I was on the take, I was telling you. Um, and then when I became a Christian, I'm like, oh, shoot, I can't steal anymore, apparently. That sucks. Um, but I was working for this company, and I was working as a Canadian for a company in China, but the company was from Hong Kong, and basically the reality was is they owed me money, but they didn't have to pay me a penny because I had no rights. I was a Canadian working in China for a Hong Kong company. I had nothing, no, nothing to, not a leg to stand on. And I was leaving the company. I'm like, those guys, they owe me money. What can I do to make sure they pay me the money? I'll steal some stuff. I'll steal some important files. I was in charge of administration and stuff like that. So I'll steal these files. I'll steal the, now this is the olden days, I'll steal the company's cell phone, which was huge and worth a lot of money back then. Uh, and I'll hold on to this and I'll say, look, you guys owe me money and unless you pay me the money, you're not getting your stuff back. And so that's what I was doing. But then I became a Christian. And apparently you're not allowed to do that anymore. You know, what had happened is my heart had begun to change. And I thought, all right, all right. God, if I'm going to trust you in this, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to trust you in this. This is weird. Never done this before. So I went back into the office, and I had the files. And I said, here's this file. And they're like, okay. I say, here's the cell phone. They're like, okay. And then I had to go down to Hong Kong and speak to the boss. And I said to the boss, I said, I don't care if you pay me a penny. That's not how I'm going to live my life anymore. And it's a long story. I won't go into it. But God came through in ways that I would never would have thought possible. And it just realized, it, it, it taught me that my life is in Christ is not about me. 
that I'm part of something much, much bigger and that the heart of God is a generous heart and I'm called to be generous. And so what this commandment teaches us is that life is not about us and that he who dies with the most toys is dead, right? Is just dead. I've done lots of funerals. I've never seen anybody take anything with them when the coffin goes into the ground. And every one of us, though, here's the thing, every one of us will have to give an account before God for how we lived our life, how we spent the time that he has given us. Did we live our life with generosity and open hearts, or did we live our life with greed, anxiety, and fear? So how does that sit with you today? Now, some of you might be hearing this and be like, oh, man. And you're just feeling the weight. You're feeling the weight of this commandment. And that's not a bad thing, actually. I love, you know, the old hymn, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." We have to fear before they're relieved. That's okay. But we need to remember this, that God is a God of grace. And we have to remember when Jesus died, he died between who? Two thieves. Jesus died between two thieves. The same Jesus that overturned tables in the temple, calling the place a den of thieves, is the same Jesus who welcomed a repentant thief on the cross and said, this day, this day, my friend, you will be with me in paradise. And so we cannot miss grace. We hold on to the hope being presented today. I like the way David Gill puts it. He says, thieves are not without hope when, Je when Jesus is near. And because of Jesus, you and I are invited into this whole new way of living, a whole new life. And we don't have to just grin and bear it. He gives us his very strength, his very power, the Holy Spirit, to live this new life. And so if you hear it as an invitation this morning, and I really hope you do hear it as an invitation, then I would encourage you to respond to the generous heart of the Father. Does that make sense? All right, well, let's pray. Father, we're, we've been talking about your word all this time. You're not a philosophy. You're not a, a worldview, but you are present and personal. And this is your word given to us so that we can live. And so we pray that we would take the, the teaching, do not steal, and also the teaching to, to be generous and to be self-giving as you are. We pray that we take that to heart. And whatever that looks like in the specificity of our lives and the, in the details of our lives, we pray that we would hear, that we'd feel that conviction, and that we would respond, knowing that, uh, that there is forgiveness, that there is grace, and there is freedom. In Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.